Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, I love, I just, uh, it's funny because Luke Thomas, who's now been one of my best friends uh, for the last two or three years, uh, was real big about, you know, making sure we got, and he took care of me, including scriptures on the screen and all that. And uh, I love this because this reminds me of really what we're talking about today, uh, that that we don't have to perform. Uh, and this is a pretty small little thing uh, to all of us, except for maybe one or two that are organizing this morning. Uh, small little thing, but a reminder of how daily you have unexpec- unexpected uh, things in your life that come up. The question is, do you really have to get it right? Uh, that's where I've been the last year. Somebody asked me, how was... Uh, how's it been? How's it going? I said, 2013 has been the worst time. It's been horrible for me. And uh, just in the last week and a half, I've had huge breakthroughs. I'll be happy to share those with you a little bit today. But I just was, my number one goal uh, has been, I didn't realize it, but is to get it right. Uh, To get my kids right, to get my work right, to get my heart right to get my relationships right, and that's my goal. That has been my goal, and I have gotten it all wrong (laughs) because that was my number one goal. Today, we're going to talk about that Jesus became a man, a man who got it right so we don't have to. That's what we're going to talk about. We've, uh, last week you heard from Bill Jolly, who literally his church is, I mean, it's three blocks down the street from ours in Johnson City. Uh, he's a pastor at Sojourn Church. Last week he talked about Jesus was, uh, is God, fully God. So today we're going to talk about uh, Jesus is fully man. And the next week, Luke's going to be back here. He's going to be talking about Jesus has come and will come again. He's going to talk about Advent. Right now he's at my church, Redeemer, in, uh, in, church, uh, in Johnson City, Tennessee. And, uh, and it's just been a great, uh, been great time for me and for the other two guys to preach the same message again, mostly, first and foremost, uh, to bring it down into our hearts to really own it. Uh, Jesus as fully man. It's something I've overlooked. Last week, uh, Bill mentioned the ballad of, anybody here? Who? Ricky Bobby. All right, you remember that? You know, uh, on Talladega Nights when when he's getting there and he gets around the table and Will Farrell playing Ricky Bobby starts praying to baby Jesus, you know, eight pound, six ounce, baby Jesus with your curled up fist, pawed up in the air. Remember uh, Kyle next to him said, I like to picture Jesus with like giant eagle's wings. And, uh, and then he also says, you know, I like to, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because I like it because Jesus is formal, but he likes to party too. And I like to party, and I want my Jesus to party too. Uh, One of the things that we have to ask ourselves is what is our version of Jesus? What is our version of Jesus? Some of us would even hear that and just such a crazy kind of uh, bringing Jesus down to my level and, and almost feel like it's sacrilegious. And I think Christians sometimes swing it the other way. Uh, and, and once we become Christian and we, we are worshiping Him and we are thinking about Him and honoring Him, that we sometimes over-deify Jesus uh, as if He wasn't fully man. For example, way in the manger, the cattle are lowly, lowing, 
the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus know what? Crying he makes. Where we get that? Well, certainly God would not cry as a baby. What's interesting, as a man, Jesus wept. Would he not cry as a baby? What's your version? If you think about Jesus, what's your version? What's your take? Is it over-deified? Is it over-humanized? Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. He's complete in both, and that's why he's difficult to fit in our categories, and he should. Uh, think about a little old joke about a little boy that was drawing hard, and his father was looking at him like, what in the world is going on there? And so he asked him, son, what are you drawing? And the little boy drawing and said, God. And the father chuckled and said, well, you know, uh, son, nobody really knows what God looks like. And the little boy said, well, they will now. And that's the way we are. We, we have a version of Jesus in our mind. And today what we want to do is go to talk about Christ's humanity and you're going to talk about what does the Scripture say. Last week, uh, Bill read a quote from Wayne Grudem that said that the miracle of the incarnation, our incarnation was even greater than the miracle of the resurrection. Now, how you compare that, I don't really fully know, but all that is is the point is huge. Uh, and it and and helped me, who, who said for years, gosh, you know, Christmas is such a big deal, but Easter is really the big Christian holiday. But the truth is they both are obviously completely legit because at Christmas, Jesus Christ became fully man. God became man. He took on flesh. And so we're going to talk about three questions. Uh, first question is, was Jesus really fully man? Does the Bible say that? Second question is, why did he have to become a man? Like, why? And then third, what's our response, okay? So if you have your Bibles or your apps, why don't you open them up? Two scriptures, we're going to go back and forth. Uh, The first one is John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And the second one is 1 Peter chapter 2. John chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go back and forth between those two. Today, I'm going to read and reference all that I'm saying in my notes, I've uh, got about 60 Bible references uh, to what I'm saying. But for the sake of simplicity, uh, let's just go to 2. John chapter 1 is where we'll start in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word here for word is the word logos. It's the where we get the word logo. And what's a logo? It's a visual display of something. So if I show you this logo right here, some of you can see it uh, towards the front, and some of you can know what it is from what it is. It's a what? An apple. What's interesting about the apple? It has a bite taken out of it. It's a picture of the fall, people. I'm just kidding. That's actually what Microsoft must think of it, whatever. But it's a visual expression of Apple Inc., right? Uh, And what we see here with Jesus Christ becoming a man, it it is God's logo. It is God's visual display. And what is display? It's of a common, an ordinary, but yet perfect man, right? So an ordinary but perfect man. Remember in Genesis 1, God makes Adam and Eve and says, These are the reflection of my image. 
they are made in my image. In Genesis chapter 3, they eat the apple and they fall, trying to be like God. But Jesus Christ is a Genesis 1 man without a Genesis 3. He is the perfect reflection of God. And so when God comes back, for him to be his visual display of himself, he becomes a person. He becomes a person. He's an ordinary person, but he's also a perfect person. He was an ordinary baby, grew, grew up in an ordinary town. Uh, he had a family, he obeyed his parents, and he loved his mom. What's interesting is the first 30 years of his life after his birth, we know hardly anything about it until he shows up some 30 years later. And, and he was so normal, he was so ordinary that when his ministry begins and it has all these signs and wonders that not even, not even his own family would own him. They thought he was mad. They came to take him away because they thought he was mad. He was being so abnormal. And, and his hometown rejected him, not just because he was being labeled as a freak and they didn't want to be associated with that, but, but that's not who he was. So he was an ordinary man, completely ordinary. That's what's remarkable about his first 30 years. He was also had a limited mind. If you think about Luke chapter 2, he grew in wisdom and in stature. That means he had less wisdom but gained more wisdom. When talking about eternal life, he said, All that I've learned of eternal life from the Father I've made known to you. He learned it. He also said in future things, for example, Mark 13, Matthew 24, he's saying, I don't even know all the details. Only the Father does. He grew up like us. He was an ordinary man. The Hebrews also says he grew in obedience, not as if he had sinned, but rather that as his challenges got deeper and deeper, so did his level of obedience. It grew stronger and stronger. This is what the Scripture, all these are Scripture references. This means he learned these things through life. And now think about this. The world that he created, he had to be reintroduced to carpentry. The people that he had helped create, according to the Scriptures, as fully God, now he had to be introduced to them by name for the first time. Augustine, who's a church father, uh, 5th century A.D., he said, He through whom time was made was made in time. And he, older by eternity than the world itself, was younger than many of his servants in the world. He who was man was made man. He who made man, excuse me, was made man. He was given existence by a mother whom he brought into existence. He was carried in hands which he formed. He nursed at breasts which he filled. He cried like a babe in a manger in speechless infancy. This word, without human eloquence, is speechless. He was an ordinary man. During his life, he had friends. He loved them. He encouraged them and he rebuked them. Not only that, he had compassion over people. Compassion over whole cities like Jerusalem crying over them, weeping over them. Jesus celebrated holidays. He went to parties and loved kids. He worked. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He was surprised and astonished. He was happy. 
And Jesus wept. He had the full range. He didn't deal with everything circumstantially that we dealt with. Uh, uh, for example, he didn't have trouble with his computer. But he was tried functionally in every same way we were. He knew what it was like to be tempted by the opposite sex. He never, he never followed through with that. But he understands. Scripture says he is sympathetic. He experienced everything that we've experienced. Dorothy Sayers says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whomever, whatever game God was playing with his creation, he kept his own rules and he played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human ex- experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and a lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, and even death. He gets it. He understands. He was an ordinary man. God's logo was a humble man, was a meek man, was power under control. This is God's logo. What's interesting is he left all the divine attributes that we have trouble comprehending and communicating about. Uh, God's transcendence, he left that. Him being all-knowing, he left that. All-powerful and present everywhere. He left all that, and yet he became a man, and he embodied perfectly the attributes of God that he freely gives to you and me, like love, justice, grace. He fully was holy. So what's interesting is every other religion, their leader becomes almost more godlike, right? But God in Christianity and Christ did the opposite. What's also interesting about your life and mine is we also try to become more like godlike. We want to be above our circumstances. We want to be all-knowing and act like know-it-alls. We want to have control over every detail of life. The very attributes of God that are not allowed for us to have, we want. And by the way, we skip over love and grace and justice. We skipped over the attributes of God that He freely gives us. We, too, want to be like God. In fact, everything in creation that has fallen, which is, which is all of it, ultimately, Every human heart wants to be like God. Every religion wants to be like God, but God became like us. I think that one thing to keep in mind as we look at, uh, at this is that God also was perfect. Turning back over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21, pick up there. He is our perfect example. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, kept on entrusting himself to God the Father. Here I am. 
I'm yours. He was our perfect example. He was the perfect man. He was led, filled by the Holy Spirit, received it again, and um, born of the Holy Spirit, received it in his ministry. He, as I said, did not have Adam's sin nature, so he was a Genesis 1 man without a Genesis 3 man. Uh, he perfectly worshiped God, Scripture says. He prayed with passion for people and to God. He practiced solitude. He observed the Sabbath. He practiced the Old Testament laws to perfection. And he went to church faithfully. Thus, Jesus maintained all the attributes of God, as I said, that he perfectly gave us. He was perfect loving. He was perfectly graceful. He was perfectly merciful. He maintained the attributes of God that he freely gives to people, and he did it to perfection. He is our perfect example. Irenaeus, a second century church fighter, said he came so that what you and I lost in Adam, namely, to be according to the image and likeness of God. What we lost, we might regain, we might recover in Christ. Another church father, St. Athanasius, really said the big idea for this morning. He said, fourth century, he became what we are that he might make us what he is. He became what we are that he might make us what he is. This is why Jesus was a fully man. That's what the scripture says. Yes, he was fully man. So the second question is, okay, why did he have to become a man? Why? The answer is so that he could be the perfect trio. Right? So he could be the perfect trio. He needed to be the perfect trio as man. Now, let's take a little trivia break. Just a little, it's getting kind of quiet in here. So here we go. In the 30s, your grandparents were probably introduced to Mo, Larry, and what? Curly, who are the what? Three Stooges. All right, 40s. First part of the 40s, the big three were Winston Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt, and Joseph Stalin. All right, now we apparently need to go back to our history classes because a place very similar to this we checked out. All right, 50s, we'll get, we'll get there. You'll get there with this one. Okay, who are the big three, the major three of the 50s? Well, it ended up being Charlie, Linus, and Snoopy. What's that, Peanuts, yep. In the 60s, you may have looked up to Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay, that's the trio. Okay, now here we go. These are where it gets fun. In the 70s, you may have listened to Barry, Robin, and... No, Andy was out of it. Andy was left out of it. Maurice, Andy Gibb was like rejected by his brothers, the Bee Gees. But Andy Gibb came back in his own little deal. Can you imagine four brothers? And you like, he wasn't a trio. He wasn't. Okay, here we go. My, in the 80s, my inspiration was Lucky, Dusty, and Ned. What's that? Lucky Day, Dusty. Bottoms and Ned Nedlander. People. Three Migos. Ah, Lucky Dave, Steve Martin, Dusty Bottoms was Chevy Chase, and uh, Ned Nedlander was um, Martin Short. 
in the 90s. You, okay, come on. Young church. I'm not that old. All right. Uh, in the 90s, you may have grooved with Kelly, Michelle, and Beyonce, who were Destiny's Child. Okay, she actually had sisters, and they were good, if you've been around. Now, who are the big three, the most famous trio of the last decade? Any media, you need to think more broadly than music. Who's the, what? No. Justin Bieber is one person, I believe. A trio. Oh, yeah, Dwayne Wade and, yeah, no, that's not them. Uh, It is um, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, yes. Yeah, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. All right, right, now, here we go. If you lived in the Old Testament, your big three were prophet, priest, and king. And every leader in Old Testament Jew, they, they came back and they... Uh, their life was made much better by a prophet, priest, and a king. There were three offices in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ was prophesied to be the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He was a trio, all the best of leadership, all in the one. All right? And Jesus Christ had to do all, all of it. Now, as prophet, he was God's uh, word that also spoke truth. Right? He spoke the perfect truth. In fact, in Hebrews 1, we find out his word was so perfect that he was the final revelation, and there's no need to add to the Bible. It would be a demotion of the Bible if we added anything to it. And so that's why Christ himself is the final word, the final prophet, the perfect prophet that perfectly explained him, John says. All right, so he is the prophet. He's also the priest. Now, there's two parts to this. As a priest, first of all, a priest is someone that's a mediator, all right? Stands before God and represents the people, stands before the people and represents God. He's a mediator. And in the Old Testament, there are priests. uh, And Christ himself was the perfect priest. And he did this by two ways. One is he brought atonement. And second of all is he prays, all right? So he brought atonement and prayers. What is atonement? Atonement is when the process of making enemies into friends. And the way you do it is by averting judgment. So, for example, if somebody steals, steals your phone, all right? Steals your phone. <clears throat> um, you got, it's injustice, and you're feeling this injustice, all right? You've, you're, even if it's a friend, suddenly there's a huge rift in your relationship. They stole my phone. Well, there's, there's a couple of ways you can make it right. One is they can give you back your phone and an apology. They can pay for it that way uh, by paying down their pride. Or they can pay you for it. And, and, of course, that's what sometimes a lawsuit is about. Or the other way is you say, here's a gift. Here, you keep it. What does that mean? You actually just lost money because you paid good money for that. And you're going to have to go buy another phone, right? So there's two ways to avert, to, to bring enemies into friends. It's got to be paid by somebody, and Jesus Christ paid for something that he didn't deserve. Something was taken away from him, that is, his life, and he said, it's a gift. He was perfect. He had already fulfilled the law perfectly. He had already been the perfect man, but he fulfills it again by being the perfect sacrifice. Hebrew tells us, Hebrews 10 tells us, because his body was sacrificed, and it wasn't an animal, an Old Testament uh, pre-sacrificing animal because it was a perfect body 
There's no more need for sacrifices. That's why you no longer bring your pets and kill them at the altar at church. All right? I mean, this is really good news, all right? This is the reason why you don't uh, sacrifice the things most precious to you uh, as a requirement for you to have a good relationship with God. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, just picking up where we left off in verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that means the cross, that we might, watch this, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What does He do? He pays it down. He gives a gift. He was the righteous one without sin, and He paid our debt. He died for our sins, right? And he died for our sins so that we, we, we would be released from the bondage of sin and made right. He makes us right. And so we see here that he says, by his wounds you have been healed. He gave you a gift. It's atonement. This last year, like I mentioned, uh, my number one goal is to get it right. I didn't realize I was doing this. You know, I know that, I mean, I'm a pastor, and it's taken me 10 or 15 years to just warm up to that title. And I usually kind of grew up highly kind of, you know, with a rebellious heart. Sometimes it was super displayed. Sometimes it wasn't. It was masked, but it was always there. And I've known, okay, you grow into a pastor, and you're going to just be a dud. You know, you're just going to be just, the temptation is just to become boring. And not just to become boring, but to do all the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And I've known that. And every time in the Bible, when I open up the Bible and I see the word Pharisee, I, in my mind, intentionally discipline myself to put the word pastor there because that's what pastors become. That's, that's the pressure. That's the temptations of it. Well, through the years, um, our church started seven years ago, and, and just God has blessed it. And for the first three or four years, it was like amazing. It was like incredible. It was the most like dream job. It was like dream people. It was like dream situation. It was so much better than I ever thought it could be. And my previous situations, it was so far from that. And so we were just riding high. Well, after a while, you just think, hey, we're pretty cool. You know, we got cool people coming here. It's a cool thing going on. And then you start reading your press reports and all this stuff. Well, uh, of course, life still couldn't continues to happen and your performance is off and, and you struggle with different things and, and all these things still continue. Well, uh, as I've been going, what I've realized is my number one goal has quit being God. It started somehow, and I never detected it, to do it right. To do church right, get my kids right, get my life right, get my wife right, get my heart right, and right, 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 right. So this last year, we started doing foster care because it's the right thing to do. And uh, it's a great thing to do. Uh, and I completely believe in it. But even on the way up to uh, having a kid placed in a home, I just knew I'm just not right. I want to get it right. I'm doing this for the intellectual right reasons. I don't really have margin for it or time for it. Uh, but that's what's happening. And so when we had a, this adorable uh, baby that was placed in our home for about five months, uh, my three-and-a-half-year-old started to really act out. I mean, he's like, what happened? I'm like the only child with four parents. My older two are a lot older in high school. And so he's like, you know, I got four parents, and I'm the center of the world, you know. And so all of a sudden, this baby's there, and he acts out big. Well, interestingly enough, I matched him. 
and started acting out. And, and so what would happen is I would like blow my top and then I, I just feel t- horrible about it because I'm not getting it right. I'm doing the right thing, but I'm not, I'm not carrying myself right. And then I would go for about five or six days just kind of willpowering my way through life and uh, feeling better and all that. And then all of a sudden, the next weekend, for example, I would blow it again. And then I would just beat myself up. And what I didn't realize, after the baby had been placed with his aunt uh, out of state and, and he was taken care of, and Lindsay, my wife, was like, we're not doing that anytime soon. That was, you're, you're like terrible. What happened? Where'd my husband go? And I kept on acting out. And uh, I had things resolve, other circumstances resolve, and I'd just keep on getting emotional. And uh, through this uh, and studying this, I just started, in several other conversations, I started realizing, hold on a second, my number one goal is to get it right when I don't have to. Why am I working so hard to get it right? I mean, it's good. I want my kids to grow up well. I want my heart to be right. I want, the, they're good things to want. But why do I fall apart whenever I don't get what is my number one goal? And the reason why is because I've rejected in my heart, although my head knew all the answers, in my heart I rejected Jesus Christ's atonement and his gift. I'm, he's pulling out the gift and I'm like, listen, I'm paying you back, man. And then when I blow it, what do I do? I pay myself down. Instead of repentance, I have penance. You know, I'm like beating myself up as if Jesus did not get beat up for, on my behalf. And I realized, you know what? It's hell. So somebody asked me, uh, the Thornburgs asked me, how's this last year? I was like, it's horrible. I hate 2013. I'm going to leave 2013. And I'm going to do all kinds of obscene gestures at the end of it, back at it, just saying, see you later. We're never going there again. Never going there again. You know what it is? It's grace. Christ brought us grace. Once and for all, you don't have to perform. You don't have to get it right. Interestingly enough, though, is that because He's making you into what He is, because you're turning into a worshiper, you will grow. And you'll get things that were definitely off in your life to the point where you're doing pretty good with it. That's what's interesting. Because when you grow up in a family with a loving father, you get healthy. And that's exactly what we're doing. Christ did this to bring us in the family of God, to make God no longer our enemies. He's not mad at us anymore. To make us friends. He also, another grace that he is doing as priest is he is praying for us. He is praying for us. Uh, He is our sympathetic high priest who is presently praying and pulling for you. I pulled out uh, Mark Driscoll's book, Vintage Jesus. I want to read a list of some things that he did that he gets, that he understands that you're going through. He understands and gets the times when you're tempted by the devil. He gets it. He's been there. He had money troubles that included being poor, getting ripped off, and struggling to pay his taxes. He gets it. He's been there. He was homeless. Some of us haven't even been there. Some of us in the room have. He understands. 
People attacked him by spreading vicious rumors, physically abusing him, mocking and spitting on him. His own family thought he was a nut job, Mark says. And these are all scriptures going behind this. The friends, his friends were a joke. And when it came to his time of crisis, they left him. They betrayed him and turned their backs on him. Anybody ever been there? He had bummer days marked by loneliness, deep sorrow, exhaustion, and weeping. Another thing about Jesus is not all of his prayers were answered. Ever had that before? Remember the night before on the cross when he said, not my will, but your will be done? Like, all right, uncle, father, you got me. But man, I haven't, my prayer is a different way. If there's any other way. He didn't have that prayer answered. Jesus bled. Jesus died. And he used his final breaths to forgive those whom he destroyed. In other words, there's some ways that you and I have not experienced that if we ever have to, he still gets it. He is our sympathetic high priest who is praying for you, Scripture says. He is pulling for you. You know, he had a physical body, ascended, therefore, to a physical heaven somewhere. Don't know where. And there he still maintains, according to Scripture, a physical body, and he's praying for you. Do you believe it? Because if you don't believe that, and if you don't believe this Jesus, you cannot say you believe in the Scriptures, and if you cannot believe in the Scriptures then you cannot believe in salvation by grace. You cannot believe in the gospel, which means you're not a Christian. Do you believe this? That Jesus is praying and pulling for you. Can I ask you a question? If you believe all that other part, why would you not believe in this? You need this. He is your sympathetic high priest. He is also the king. Won't go into that much but uh, because uh, Bill talked about that. What did the king do? He was the truly righteous king. He was prophesied he must be a king in the line of David. He was. He was in that line. Uh, genetically, he was in his line. Jesus came to bring justice to the poor like every king or, or government leader we ever wish would happen. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom of redemption. He rules over all creation, and one day every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Why? And this is, this is why, going back to John chapter 1. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Picture an ocean coming towards you with waves, grace upon grace. How stupid it would be to get out there and try to stop it or try to find another way for the nature to work. But that's what some of us try to do, and God nevertheless brings grace upon grace upon grace. And when you screw up, He brings grace upon grace upon grace. And when you doubt Him, He brings grace and grace. And, and then He continues even if you denied him, the grace is still coming. He's not mad at you. Why? Because Jesus Christ was a man who was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He brings grace upon grace, and that is directed towards you and towards me. And that is amazing news. So finally, what's our response? Jesus 
is remaking us. The question is not what's our version of him, is it? It's what's his version of us. And the version of us that he's bringing us to is the version we are created to have. And that is of Jesus Christ himself. We ultimately will be glorified, completely delivered from sin, all of creation wills well. Jesus is remaking us so that we become more what we were meant to be. Mumford and Son says, love, it will not betray you. Dismay or enslave you, it will set you free. Be more the man you were meant to be. Put it in St. Athanasius' words again, he became what we are that he might make us what he is. So, what's our response? Our response is to live as he lived. And we can only do that if we respond to the gift, if we worship him. If we say thank you for the gift. Thank you for the grace. And the way we imitate him is by becoming, as a group, prophet, priest, and king to this world. We are the prophets that speak the truth to set the captives free, the truth of the gospel, so that we tell more people, so that more people come to know and to love and be remade by him. We are the priests that sacrifice ourselves for people who don't deserve it, for our family over Christmas who doesn't deserve it. We are the ones that praise for our enemies when they intend us harm. We are to be the priests. We are to be the kings that bring justice to the poor. We are to bring the, be the kingdom citizens that point him to the true king. This is what we are. We are to be incarnational. We are to be the visual display of God. We are to love as he loved. And the question is, therefore, who? Who in your life right now are you called to love like Christ has loved you? Are you called to give grace to like Christ has called you to give grace to? Who? Is it your friend? Is it your roommate? Is your spouse? Is it that person in authority over you that has a lot more power than they, you wish they had? Is that person under you that has a lot less power than you do? Is your family over Christmas? Who? I want you to think. Before you leave the door, I want you to think, who? Who am I called to love as Christ loved me? Who am I called to live my life as a worship sacrifice before God by giving them what they don't deserve just as Christ gave it to me. And I'm not going to love them to the degree they love me back. I'm going to love them to the degree that Christ loved me, which is go all the way to death. Who am I called to be God incarnate to? A prophet, a priest, or a king to? Who am I called to? I want, you, I want you to resolve that today before you leave. I want you to resolve it. But I also want you to remember, you cannot do it by trying to get it right. And even if you don't give it right, grace upon grace upon grace. You are called to worship. Say thank you for the gift. But ultimately is the gift and the power of the gift of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit through you. That he will make you, remake you into what you were meant to be.